Hey, I got a prediction. I'm guessing at least uh, half of you guys have never even sat in a pew before. Am I right? Is right? Yeah. Doesn't really seem like a pew bunch, but tonight, guys, we all are. Welcome to Saul Company. <laughs> Welcome to Saul Company. This is what an exhilarating night. What an electric night. Like, man, we just have to stop and just say thank you to the Lord. Like, we love meeting out at our church in Tiffin. Like, we love uh, being at Veritas. But it is such a privilege, even just for tonight, to come to campus, to be literally surrounded. My goodness, this is going to be tough, talking to all you guys. Uh, just being surrounded by so many uh, faces that we love to see every week, but also so many new faces. So many of you guys that took the awkward flyer, took the lukewarm cup of hot cocoa from us, had some conversations. And, yeah, I just want to say welcome to everybody here, especially if it's your first time. Uh, my name is Ryan. I actually went to school here. I went to Iowa. I graduated. That's um, okay, I graduated. Uh, I have my diploma on my fridge, if anybody was wondering. Uh, I know what it's like to be a student. I know what it's like to kind of be like landlocked and stuck in the middle of nothing. I know what it's like coming up. Some of you are freshmen. You don't know what it's like to have to go a mile to class in a blizzard uphill both ways, but you're about to find out what it feels like to wear vans in zero-degree weather soaking wet. So good luck with that. But I've been in your seat in your pew before. I know what that's like. And I know for every Iowan, for every Midwesterner especially, there is a magic phrase that if you can answer this question, if you can answer this magic question, you have figured out how to survive the pending doom of winter. And it's this. Hey, Ryan, what are you looking forward to? Okay. It sounds like a simple question, but packed into that one little statement. What are you looking forward to? You will find so much freedom. Because you can take a whole lot if you have something great to look forward to, right? It's obvious. It's a pretty common knowledge thing. But specifically in Iowa, if you need a little life advice, this isn't any really thing to do with the Bible time, but if you need life advice, this is how you do that. You just plan a bunch of road trips every single year. Like, that's what college is all about. Yeah, get your degree, put it on your fridge, but in the meantime, take as many road trips as you can. That is how I got through college. Always having something to look forward to. And specifically, my friends and I, I think maybe like, I tried to count maybe six times. I don't know. So far. Just packed up the car, drove from Iowa City all the way to the West Coast, usually California. Okay. It's a 28-hour drive to any major city. It's not that bad. You can go straight through the night. That's fun. You get some weird thoughts driving the night shift. You can get a hotel if you're rich. Did that once. You can do whatever you want, but I'm telling you, you got to try it. But what's really, really interesting about that trip, and you have to, this is very serious. No more joking around. This is very serious. If you are going to make it, 28 hours, so let's say San Diego, you need a very clear vision, a very realistic expectation, a very like, uh, like fire inside of you almost if you're actually going to make it. Because there's a little place that's standing between you and your finish line, between you and the waves, between you and that In-N-Out burger, between you and that glowing suntan that you were just dying to have. It's a little place called Nebraska. Anybody here from Nebraska? Got one person. I, I already apologized to him beforehand for this. 
There is a place on earth called Nebraska, and guess what? Omaha's great, Lincoln's great, but I-80 is not great. And I'm telling you, if you guys try and take off tonight for California, you will not make it. But if you come and sit down and talk to me, I'm going to tell you a couple very, very specific things. One, that even being a terrible surfer is better than not being a surfer at all. Mm. That having salt run through your hair, if you have any, is a great feeling. <laughs> that biting into that double-double from in and out will change your life, and that that suntan and maybe even sunburn that you come home with will make you look better than all of your peers here. You need to know what you're going into. What are you looking forward to? And what's really, really interesting, to my own shame, and I think maybe just the circles that I've kind of grown up around in, is Christians talk about a little place called heaven. Like, it's, like, well, we, it's like obvious, like, oh yeah, that's heaven, totally. Like, we believe in heaven, right? It's where Christians go after they die. Like, this is not the end, we have heaven. But if I asked you, do you know what you were looking forward to? Man, I don't even know if I could answer that as well as, as, well as I'd like. Christian, do you know what you were looking forward to? Maybe, maybe not. We talk a big game about heaven, but I don't even think we talk a big enough game about heaven. We have no idea what we were looking forward to. Like, we think clouds, okay, cool. Maybe there's stained glass in heaven. I wouldn't doubt that. This is great. We think of, like, little angels and, like, sometimes they're, like, naked babies flying around. I don't know where we got that idea. Like, we think of harps. We think of guys like Caleb playing the cello. And that, literally, the presence of harps, the absence of hell, that is actually our greatest vision for what lies before us, guys. And I'm telling you, Salt Company, that is far too small. You will never make it. Because life is going to squeeze you. It is going to be hard this side of eternity. Following Jesus will not be easy, which we will see later in the text. And if you are going to be squeezed, you need a great thing to look for. You need a great place. You need to know your destination. And I'm so excited. Because there is a place that is actually worth living and dying for. It's the farthest thing from boring. And tonight, God's word is actually going to prove that to us. So here's our big question tonight, guys. Do you know what you're looking forward to? Do you know what you were looking forward to? It's kind of fun. So if you want to open your Bibles to Revelation 7, some of you brought a Bible, some of you have it on your phone, others can look it on the screen, and it is my pleasure to say, in the pew in front of you, there is a Bible that you can open up to. I tried to memorize the page number to tell you to, to go there, but it's at the very back of your Bible, Revelation chapter 7, and I'm just going to start by reading a couple verses, okay? Revelation 7, and some of this stuff might sound weird, but we're going to figure it out, okay? We're going to bottom shelf this, we're all going to understand, we're all going to be encouraged by this. This is what Revelation 7, verses 9 and 10 say. After this, I looked, and there was a vast multitude. There was a vast multitude from every nation, tribe, people, and language, which no one could number. And they're standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands. And they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who is seated on the throne and to the Lamb. What we are getting led in on here, guys, is a vision. 
The book of Revelation, as mysterious as it is, is a vision from the Lord to a guy named John, and we are getting just a snippet of that tonight. What John is seeing is amazing, but what he's seeing tonight kind of is going to take us in a particular order, right? Kind of like concentric circles, like we're starting on this outer ring of what we just read, and we're going to be moving towards the center of this circle. And the first thing, the outer ring that we see is a shocking amount of people. You see what it says, vast multitude, so vast that nobody could number it. Nobody could count just how many people were in this crowd. Okay, you guys know the largest group that ever gathered on earth in 2013 in India for this uh, Hindu festival? It was 120 million people were in that crowd. Just kind of wrap your mind around that for a second. 120 million people. Yep, got it. Okay, this is more than that. And we know this is more, this is more grand than that. Because somebody counted to 120 million. This is beyond count. This is absolutely massive. But John doesn't just say, whoa, look at all these people. He gets a little more specific. He wants us to know a couple other things that he sees. Firstly, we know where these people are coming from. Do you see that? They're coming from every nation. They're coming to every tribe. They're coming from every people group, every language in the world. And so maybe some of us haven't stopped to think about this, guys. But Jesus wasn't like a blonde-haired, blue-eyed, white guy from America. Shocking. Like, the Bible isn't an American, like, idea. Like, sometimes we get so caught up in our world and the church around us and the people around us that we forget that this whole Christianity thing, it is a worldwide movement. That every single place it seems to be getting squashed out, it seems to pop up somewhere else with twice as much force. That it maybe started in the Middle East, but thank God, somehow it found its way all the way to us right here where we get to be worshiping. It's amazing. And what's crazy about this, about this vision, is that this is not just saying every, you know, dorm room or every, kind of every city in America or every, every state or even every country. This is saying every single distinct group of people on earth will be represented in heaven before God. This does not mean that everybody will be saved. This does not mean that God's eternal dwelling place of peace, this heaven we're talking about, is actually for everybody. But it does say that every people group will be represented. It's beautiful. A godly collage by the beautiful artist. And he points out a couple other things. He says that we know what, not just where, but what these people are coming from. If we read just a little ahead, and we're going to read it later in verse 14, he's saying these people are coming from something called the Great Tribulation. And some of you are like, oh my gosh, no way. Are we actually getting into this? Okay, we're just going to skim over this. There's a lot of fun stuff to talk about here, but this is what we need to know. That there is actually going to be a time when sin is going to boil over. When this world is going to reach a whole new level of bad, man, it's going to get evil. It's going to get dark. It's going to get scary. And God is going to save his people. And whether before this tribulation or during it or after is up for debate, we do know one thing, that there will be a squeeze, almost like a death rattle from God's enemies and Satan. And they are going to persecute Christians. And it is going to be hard. But those who persevere will go home. And what we're seeing here is a great multitude of people Yes, from every single place in the world, that's beautiful. 
but they're coming from hardship. They're coming through pain. And so what we know from this is that being a Christian has never been a guaranteed easy life. I think so many of us think that. Like, we get this idea that we come to Jesus and our life will get easier. We love to talk about this and kind of recorrect this because I am so prone to fall into this. That if I have enough faith, I will have enough money, I will get the job, I'll get the girl, I'll get no cancer, and I will avoid hell. But what we actually see in the Bible, what we actually see from this text, is that people go through a lot when they follow Jesus. But if you read between the lines and you zoom out a little bit, you will see that God never leaves his people or forsakes them. And these people, though they came through a great tribulation, have been brought home by their king and their savior. We know what they're coming from. And finally, we also know what these people are screaming. I would say singing, but I just picture it more of a scream, right? They're screaming salvation. Salvation belongs to our God who is seated on the throne and to the Lamb. These are sinners, guys. These are broken people who needed salvation. They were far from God and they have now been saved and they have now been brought near. And what this means, this is crazy. You're going to say, duh, but man, I'm excited to say it anyway. This means that God's rescue mission on earth, that his message of salvation it works. <laughs> it actually works. This is exciting because Christians, we often say, yes, I want to follow Jesus. I want to share all of the goodness that God has given me. I want to share with people who don't know it yet. And where we're starting in this text is we get to tell you boldly that the mission is accomplished. It actually happens. The love of God that has affected your life, if you want to take that to the end of the world, I'm telling you, it works. He wins. The victory belongs to God. No matter what the earth throws at you, the gospel will not be stopped. We have guaranteed success. And guys, this vision needs to just set in for a second on what we just read. Just a couple verse, a couple verses here. But it needs to set in that every people group will be represented in heaven. That it will not just look like this. But every language will have like their ballads, their songs, their unique praise that they are bringing before their God. That if there's a ginormous family feast, there's going to be different kinds of food. There's going to be different kinds of dancing and singing and clothing and dialects and all of the beauty that God has all over the world will come together in harmony. It's going to be amazing. And I want us to dream about this. And I want us to just think. For those of us who say, yes, I want to follow this God and I want to be where he is at I want to say, will you actually spend your life inviting the nations to this moment? Like, will you be spent making known this truth that salvation belongs to this God and this God alone? Friends, it's going to be beautiful. It's going to be like this, but a lot better. <laughs> and as you hear the songs, and as you see the beautiful just display of God's people, on the outer ring of this scene. When you hear those songs, do you hear it faintly in the background? Do you hear it breaking through? Do you hear this? I O W A. I O W A. (laughs) 
do you actually believe that God's mission of salvation works? If you're looking at your life right now and you're saying, man, God has saved me. I could be number one with these people. Then how much more as we look at the multitudes could we be in awe of the power of God to save sinners? And so I'm challenged by this, guys. I'm challenged by this when we're out flying and we're here downtown and I'm walking down the streets and seeing people drinking their lives away and sleeping around until they're numb. I'm challenged that there are people on this campus who do not know the good news of God, who have not been saved, who have never experienced what we're reading, who have no idea who God actually is. I think many, many in this room should go overseas this summer to share the good news. Seriously, we'd love to send you. We're doing it. I think many of you should go share this good news of heaven. I think some of you should spend the rest of your lives making it your goal to reach unreached people groups. People who don't even have access to this. People who are going to be born, live a full life, and die never hearing about a God who is alive, who is personable, who loves them, and wants to save them. And guys, just to encourage you, this might sound like an odd encouragement, but it's the most encouraging thing I think I could hear. God doesn't need you. God doesn't need you. He doesn't need me. (laughs) I love that. His success is already guaranteed. His people are out there. His victory is secured. And the question is not, will we feel guilty enough to make sure that this scene happens from Revelation 7? The question is, will we participate in the great mission of salvation that God himself is inviting us into? This is no mere road trip that we're inviting a couple of our best friends to. It's come one, come all. Anyone can get in on this. A multitude not divided by differences, but beautifully canvassed together by their creator. Could there be anything more wonderful and lovely to set our eyes on tonight? Could there be anything better to look forward to? Could he get any richer and sweeter than this? Yes. Yes, it can. Because we're moving in on the circle and we're going to the next ring. And what we're about to learn with absolute clarity is actually why this multitude exists. So let's keep reading Revelation 7, 11 through 14. All the angels, all the angels stood around the throne. And along with the elders and the four living creatures, they fell face down before the throne and worshiped God, saying, Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and strength be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Then one of the elders asked me, who are these people in white robes and where did they come from? And John, he's a, I said to him, sir, you know. And he told me these are the ones coming out of the great tribulation, right? The ones who persevered here. Uh, they, they washed their robes. They washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. The next thing we're going to see, guys, is that we are looking forward to a party. (laughs) We were introduced to the multitude that nobody could count from all over the world. And now we see the guest list gets even whiter, like out of this world bigger. And we see some bad dudes. And I don't mean bad like evil dudes. I mean bad like don't mess with these dudes type of guys. Talking about angels. 
talking about warriors. I'm talking about if you read the rest of Revelation, you start seeing the descriptions of these beasts. Stuff that will freak you out. Angels who, anywhere in the Bible, when people are confronted with an angel, they fall flat on their face and they worship. And yet here we see these warrior angels and the massive army of them and all of the beasts that are around this throne fall on the ground, hit their face in reverence and worship. And they have a song. They have a song to sing and they sing these words, Amen. It means that they affirm what the multitude of the nations saying. Everything you just said about God and his salvation, we say absolutely. We are witnesses to that. They sing blessing and glory. Whatever we bring to the table here, whatever we can possibly give you, our entire existence, this God is worth it. We give it to you gladly. We give it to this God. They sing wisdom and thanksgiving. Nobody could have thought of this. Nobody could be so wise and have a plan of salvation like this. Me saying thanks just seems so insignificant. They sing honor and power and strength. There is nobody who could have pulled this off. And there is nobody that could even shoulder the praise that we are giving him. Saul Company, this is called worship. This is called worship, and it is the party happening in God's presence right now. Right this very moment, the greatest party of all time is raging on with white-hot intensity. It's amazing. We need to stop feeling bad about our desire to let loose, have fun, rage a little bit. We got to stop feeling bad about that. But, 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 big but, not just giving you a free pass, <laughs> Hit up the town later, but, but we do need to start aiming a little higher. We need to start aiming a little higher than the pathetic standards of simply hanging out and hooking up that this world offers us. This is what we were created for. This is what you created for, and friends, let me encourage you. You are more than ready for this. We are fantastic worshipers. Sound like I'm being arrogant? No, let me explain. We, you, are fantastic worshipers, and I'm not talking about them. They're fine. I can't sing a lick. I'm kind of nervous if we ever come back here to be in that choir in the back. I'm going to do it. It's always been my dream, but I'm a terrible singer. That's not what I'm talking about. I can prove it to you. It wasn't a joke. I'm not talking about my singing, Scotty. You don't need to laugh at me. I can prove to you that you're great worshipers, and this is how I'm going to do that. We find here a throne that is encircled. We have the masses, great and small alike, gathered in unadulterated focus, laser focus. We have songs of passion and praise, captivated by an object we find worthy of our worship. And there is no security guard or little yellow rope, or guys in yellow jackets that can ever stop us from charging the field. You are incredible worshipers, and you can tell every single Saturday we have a home game. Amen? You know what I'm talking about. What we're talking about here is a throne room, and I'm saying our whole entire world, you can find throne rooms left and right. 
You can find passionate worship on Saturdays. You can find it in front of your mirror every single morning where we see it in the midterms, in the finals. We can see it with every crush that we get on the girl. Why? Because this is actually what you were created to do. You were actually created to worship. I'm telling you, worship goes way beyond singing. Worship is giving something your honor, your blessing, your glory, your wisdom, thanksgiving, all like what the angels are singing. That's like what we do with things in this life. And I'm telling you, it's not a matter of if we are good worshipers, it's just a matter of who we are worshiping. We need to be a people of red-hot, intense, passionate worship. But by God's grace, could we please focus it in the right place? Wouldn't that be something? Worship, like these angels, giving God the blessing, the glory, the wisdom, the thanksgiving, the honor, the power, and the strength. Does that sound confusing? Does that sound hard to do? Kind of. <laughs> Let's just bottom shelf this. Like, how do we actually start becoming worshipers who are like in a dress rehearsal almost for this scene of heaven? Okay, I got an idea. Um, if we want to stop living for the worship of things that aren't God, try this. Put out your hand. Okay, just put it out. Like, I'm going to hand you something, okay? I'm going to hand you something, but it comes with a warning. Are you ready? Yeah? Okay. This is dangerous business. I'm going to hand you some homework. And it is the glasses of gratitude. Boom. They're yours. Put it away. The glasses of gratitude. If you want to start training for this amazing moment when you actually come before the throne, this is what we can start doing. You can cancel your dinner plans tomorrow. And I want you to go find a better dinner place to eat. You can think about who you're hanging out with tomorrow night. And I want you to put a little more effort into it and make it even better. You can think about what fun things you're going to do and go enjoy your weekend even more. I'm telling you guys, following Jesus, being a Christian and living a life of worship is not all about squandering all of your joy and living the most boring possible life you possibly can. It's about God getting involved in everything. And you worshiping him actually can look like you enjoying this life. It's amazing. It's so cool. And so with your glasses of gratitude, I want you just to start taking notes. Between this Thursday and next Thursday, just start writing down things at the end of the day. What you saw God do that day. Tonight it's easy. God, I cannot believe you let us meet here. God, I can't believe that not every single person cussed at us while flyering today. Wow. It's amazing. God, I can't believe the new friends I got to meet. God, I can't believe I got to worship. God, thank you for this. Thank you for this. Put on your glass of gratitude, and I promise you, you will see the world, different, the world differently, and you will start rehearsing for this throne. We are looking forward to a multitude of joyful gathering, a party for the ages. We are looking forward to the great worship service of God that we can almost hear the echoes of tonight in this singing. But there's still one question that we have not answered. Why? Why are the heavens worshiping this God so specifically? Well, verse 14, verse 14 gives us like a little clue. I know I messed up saying 14. Everybody's smiling right in my face. You don't think I can see that? <laughs> I get excited. Come on. Verse 14 gives us a little clue. 
And the clue is hidden in the dress code for this party. It says that these people are wearing robes that were white, but they were made white from the blood of the lamb. Okay, first off, this is a paradox. It's not an accident. It's on purpose, but it's a paradox. Blood stains things. Like, you're not, like, throwing in blood, like, with your Clorox or your Tide Pods. Or, like, they're not full of blood. You're like, oh, I'm going to throw them with my whites? Like, what do you expect to happen? Stains. What's going on here? What we have here is a blood so pure, so magical, so holy that it can make one clean. And know this with clarity, Saul Company. God is being worshipped by these angels and with, by these beasts because he is glorious and powerful. But also know this, that his glory is recognized even more fully by those who have received mercy. Powerful enough to draw worship from warrior angels and merciful enough to draw worship from his very enemies. This is your God. And every single thing that we bring into his presence that is stained by our imperfections and our sins, he actually might just have the power by the blood of the lamb to wash that away. And so the last thing that we need to see is who is this God? Who is this object of worship? It's some of those beautiful verses in the entire Bible. I get to read you right now. Revelation 7 verses 15 through 17 say this. For this reason, they are before the throne of God. And they serve him day and night in his temple. The one seated on the throne will shelter them. They will no longer hunger. They will no longer thirst. The sun will no longer strike them, nor will any scorching heat. For the lamb who is at the center of the throne will shepherd them. He will guide them to springs of the waters of life, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. We are looking forward to a throne. We have started on the outer ring, and now, friends, we find ourselves at the very dead center of the circle. We see the worshipers, and now we see what, or rather who, they are bending the knee to. Ladies and gentlemen, I give you the lamb who is your shepherd. The lamb who is your shepherd. Another beautiful paradox. He is a lamb, which means he became the very sacrifice needed to pay for our sins. He became the very sacrifice, the sacrificial lamb needed to pay for our sins against him. Like if there was another way, I'm sure the wise and almighty God of the universe, Jesus Christ himself, wouldn't have come and died for you. But this is what he chose to do. There is no effort that you can put forth tonight. No rules or religion that you can check off that are powerful enough to make you clean. You see, being a lamb means that Jesus was ripped apart to pay for sin because sin was actually that strong. Strong enough to condemn a human forever. To separate us from this God forever. But I'm telling you that sin has no grip on us when it is met with the blood of this lamb. 
He is the lamb. And if you see that, he is also our shepherd. Which means he not only became like us so that he could die in our place, but he is alive and he intends to walk alongside us, behind us, in front of us, and lead us. Lead us to this place that we're reading about, protecting us along the way. And I'm telling you, this lamb, this shepherd is worthy of our worship. So do you know what you're looking forward to? By no means is Revelation 7 here an exhaustive picture of everything that our eternity is going to hold. But what we can't miss about our, our, our like eternal dwelling place, like our potential place that we are going here, like the one thing that we cannot miss is that Jesus will be there. All the what's of heaven, all the agendas that you have, all the stuff that we want to do in the, the cosmos that we want to explore, all of the what's pale in comparison. I mean, absolutely nothing to the who of heaven. The lamb whose blood made my broken and sinful soul glow white. The shepherd who is so gentle and strong that he not only can get you through this life, like driving through Nebraska, but he can remain by your side for all eternity, making you glad and personally attending to your joy himself. Sheltering you, it says. Sheltering you from evil. Sheltering you from the sin that once threatened your safety and happiness. Friends, you are now safe. Filling you with good, rich food. The bread of life that we know to be his body that was broken for us when he was killed on the cross so that we could be full. Delighting you with the living water. It says it is his very self. He is that living water refreshing you. Deepest, darkest places. The saddest places that you have. He plans to refresh Christian. Replacing our source of light, the sun, that keeps us at a distance. And himself becoming our light. And drawing near to us. And not only that, but wiping away every single tear that maybe we even carried into eternity with us. Saul Company, behold, look. It's the sacrificial, victorious lamb. It's your mighty, powerful, warm, kind shepherd, and he is here tonight. Do you know what you're looking forward to? Guys, this is a vision just worth us living for and dying for. Because this is a God who lived and died and is living again for you. This is a great future, but friends, this is also a reality that you are invited into tonight. That no matter who you are, no matter what you have done or what you plan to do, the living God in all of his power and gentleness is here. And he's here to let you know that it is not too late to accept his invitation. Not just to a great destination, but to a full life, full of joy and intimacy with him right now. A life where you can run to him for shelter, 
be filled by him. Be satisfied in him. Delight in him. Enjoy him. And even know beyond a shadow of a doubt that not one tear that you cry for the rest of your life will be missed by this God. That's how much he loves you. That's how intricately involved he wants to be with you right now. Not just in the future in heaven, but right now. And praise God that he knew we could never do that on our own. That we in our failure and our sin and our imperfections and our limitations can never do that on our own. But he shed the blood of his son so that we could be made right with him again. And if you put your faith in that, you know exactly what you're looking forward to. Could we be a place that actually looks forward to this? Could we be a ministry in a church that actually looks forward to this? How could we not? And Saul Company, what could happen on this campus if it became captivated by Jesus? I hope he's stirring in you tonight like he's stirring in me. I hope that you can look around here and be thankful, and I hope that you want to get the heck out of here because we have to tell people about this God who loves them. Let me pray. Father, it is such a privilege that we are not kept at a distance from you. That the holy, wonderful God did not just stay far away from us, but actually came close, drew close to sinners like me. And he's actually saying, come right now. Whether you met him tonight for the first time, or you've known him your whole life, or whatever. God, we just want to run together right now into your arms. We want to join with this multitude. Crying out, salvation belongs to our God who is seated on the throne and to the Lamb. We want to echo the songs of these angels and these beasts and the elders. We want to say amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and strength be to our God forever and ever. Amen. God, let us tap into this tonight. Change us. Open up our ears to hear this good news. Open up our minds to understand this good news and open up our hearts, soften our hearts, replace our hearts of stone with hearts of flesh so that we would truly believe this good news. God, to you alone be the glory. Would your name be lifted high? Would this song be a sweet, sweet sound to your ears? Amen. Amen.